What, did you think you were getting a TED Talk here? Welcome to Common Threads. This is an interview series with the Highland Park High School class of 1995. Russell Dyer, also in our graduating class, was like, y'all should do a piece of the Appalachian Trail. And immediately I was like, what's the Appalachian Trail? I had never heard of it. And I was like, oh, I'm doing that. Wow, what a fun interview this was. Amy Heath, also known as Amy Langbine, goes over her business, Texas Tree Surgeons, and her new spin-out business called Burn This Wood, which is a holistic approach to trimming your trees and then having your own firewood from your trimmed trees. Amy goes over her college career, her wild adventures hiking throughout North America and Spain, and how she got Texas Tree started. call is being recorded. Amy? Hello. Hey, how are you? Good. All right. So this worked. That's, worked. This is good. It worked. Um, I was, good. I, I I'm, in my, I'm in my car hiding from everyone, so Dude. nobody walks in. Are you but wearing sunglasses? Okay? Do you have, I mean, do you have like the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis look going? Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you started out. You're like, I'm in my car. I'm hiding from everyone. No one can see what I look like. That is yeah. great. Do you usually do that? I mean, for, for phone calls? I mean, for private phone calls, are you like, hey, I got to take this one out my car? Well, right now, since we're working remotely and my office is being used as a school, it's uh-huh. kind of crazy. Because there's like a little – so we have a pod – school in the office conference room so there's eight first graders running around <laughs> are you so, kidding me no, wait, so your so house awesome. like wait wait so they're the kids are at your house or they're like virtually at your no, house they're, no they're at the office and so they're virtually doing lakewood but we hired a teacher to facilitate them so it's a group of all working moms who watches all the kiddos and gets does all their virtual learning. So does your office, like, does it, do you guys do a round robin of offices? Or no, just, just that what, I have an empty office building. What short straw did you draw? That's I know. Awful. Well, no, it's actually great because I get to drive my daughter to school and then stay there and work all day. And I just, usually I close my door, but there's a lot of activity today. so. And yeah. I get to work I mean, uninterrupted. And my assistant, well, there's only my assistant, me, and my husband officing out of here right now. And then the school's on the other end of the building. I, yeah, I love how you go with the positive aspect of that. I would definitely be on the more negative side, being like, this sucks. Um, <laughs> but I, mean, I also I, get to choose to stay home and have the house to myself all day if I want. Yeah, there. That's one option. That's pretty. That's that's a good. Um, what what do you what meetings do you call that? Do you have like a code word for that meeting? Is there something in your head where you're like, oh yeah, I've got to go take care of the uh, the read account. Um, they need some. They they, they need some uh, special service, and then you go home and you do a snoozer. I'm, I'm no, all I about should. that. I'm I totally should. That. You just you just constantly have like read account, read account, read account in your calendar. I'm gonna need to run by a job site for a couple oh, hours. Yeah, I'm sorry guys. I got the uh big meeting. Huge meeting here. Um gonna do this one. So what is the story with so what is the story with uh, Burn This Wood? Because Stuart Greenfield sent me a text message, and he was like, you got to use these guys. And I was like, oh, my God, that is, that's, uh, that's Amy Langbein. He's, uh, that's her company. So I want to hear all about this. That is awesome. So that's my latest company. When we bought the offices in the land last year, it was, with the intention of starting a wood waste recycling business because there's just so much wood that goes into dumps. And so yeah. for 
the reusable wood is an awesome way to recycle that, keep it out of a dump, lower, offset our carbon footprint. And with the mulch, we're working on partnering with a composting company uh-huh. who will take that. They collect restaurant food, but they need the brown material to make it processed into compost and then sell it. So we're trying to implement as much of that as possible. We also donate to community gardens with our mulches, um, schools with school gardens, any sort of nonprofit or anything in the area of DFW that can use mulch. We'll give it to them for free and deliver it for free. So how how much were you, like, how much wood was going into the dump? Like, just give me a rough, like, is it a pickup truck? Is it a dump truck? What, like, how much wood did you guys have? Tons and tons and tons. If, I don't know, after the tornadoes from last year, the city dumps got so full that they had to start using empty city properties to temporarily store the wood until they could process it or move it out of state. And then that, there's also a quarantine of wood in place. So technically you cannot cross Collins County line or Tarrant County line with any wood from Dallas. And that wood from Parrot County, because there's an insect the, called the, the emerald ash borer, it's the, the, spreading diseases. The emerald a, what? Uh, the emerald ash borer. Uh huh. And it is invading ash trees. It'll be here soon enough, but right now they're trying to contain it with a wood movement quarantine. So do, the wood, police, do the wood police come after you in that instance? I mean, are they. You know, are they are they pretty intense? Is it a fine? Is it do you spend thirty days in jail if you break quarantine? It would be a significant fine. However, there really aren't enough foresters to implement it. But okay. most tree diseases and insects can be tracked by firewood. So the importance of buying local firewood reduces the spread of disease and in insects in trees and in urban forests. Okay, so this uh, this is kind of interesting. So this works as you you come in and tell me where I'm wrong because I know I'm going to be wrong on this. You come in and you you work on. Uh, let's say you came to my house and you, you've worked on my house before. You 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 basically trim the trees, right? And you yeah. do all all of the all of the surgical procedures that need to be done with tree trimming. And then would you sell my wood back to me or would you? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) I will store it it for a year. Well, I mean, I can't identify yours from your house, but it is our clients. In Texas, tree surgeons, uh, you know, my other company and sister company, it is those clients get a 10% discount on firewood. That's amazing. Okay. Okay. And so you can you can really kind of flex your flex your green it kind of like your green muscles to your neighbors when you're talking to them and be like, Oh yeah, you know, I I burn my own wood. What do you what do you do? Buy buy your own firewood? Is that what you do? I actually usually (laughs) just drive it home from my neighbors in the back of my car. And give it to them for free. We have uh, quite a bit of it. How uh, so? How's it going? Like, is it ta- like? Are, like, you started it when? When? When was Burn This Wood started up? Burn This Wood was started. Well, technically, this year we closed on the land. Um, in twenty eighteen. No, so at the end of 2019, and it has not had a great first year due to COVID, and yeah. my crews would come dump firewood, and we still have two months with four guys working to process the wood of what was here when no one was coming to the offices at all. 
Okay. Okay. So and when you when you say processing, what are you doing? What do, what does that mean? So we split it, stack it, try to divide it. We're trying to figure out the best equipment. We tried, you know, different splitters. This yeah. one broke. It's different. Just it's a huge learning curve. There's a firewood company that's been around a long time. It was across from the Arboretum that a lot of people know about. The owner of that company is Jim Bro, and he owns Personal Touch Tree Service. And he's uh-huh. been a very willing mentor to me on this, and taught me sort of how to how to move it, how to stack it, how to season it the best, how to divide it, um, how to sell it. And he he's been very helpful in just learning something I know nothing about. <clears throat> So what is it? I mean, like, it's okay. I I've got a horrible impression. I'm just thinking of like some dude out there with a, a steel chainsaw, just going going ham, cutting all this wood up. Is there actual machines that do this, or is it is it manual with chainsaws, or what? What's going on when well, you guys cut, cut it, it? We cut it to length, or the guys, my crews, bring it in cut to length. Okay. Um, with, so, or we cut it to length with a chainsaw, but then there are wood, they're firewood processors. So our biggest machine puts out a cord an hour, maybe a wow. cord and a half an hour. And it just, it's a huge hydraulic buck splitter. How big is it? How big is the machine? Um, 10 feet by 5 feet. Yeah. Okay. That's... And then there's standalone industrial strength, so it just has a stronger motor with a stronger hydraulic power to split the wood. So it's not like a guy out there with an axe. That's <laughs> literally what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> that would take um... quite some time. Oh my God! I was just—I was thinking you just like some dude is just out there just crushing it, just like, yeah, you know, I've got my uh, CrossFit workout, then I come to burn this wood to uh, take care of some extra calories. Um. <laughs> I actually have implemented it as part of my workout routine. I'll go chop wood for like an hour with the guys. Have and you? So, oh my gosh! Oh, it's so much fun. My husband does it. We all do it. It's just it's kind of fun. So what does that what does that build up your deltoids? What is that usually your your traps? What what are you working on there? Full <laughs> full body workout? Back. Where were you at college? Oh, where, oh, yeah, I don't even know where you went to college. Or did ground. you? I did. I wanted to be a ski bum and <laughs> my parents insisted on college, so I went to Western State outside of uh Crested Butte. Oh dude, yeah. There weren't that, um, weren't a lot of par- Weren't a lot of parkies that ended up at Western State, and while I may have been one of the more hippie people at Highland Park, I was definitely the preppiest person at Western State. <laughs> well, wait a sec, my um, so that is uh, wait, that's in uh, Monmouth, wait, Gunnison. That's right, Gunnison. And in order to get to Crested Butte, you fly to Gunnison. It's like the only airport that's around there. Yes, it's the only thing yeah. around it. Yes. <laughs> Well, you probably saw a ton of Highland Park people up in uh, Crested Butte because you were probably always going up to the mountains, weren't you? So I would run into people here and there, but mostly when they were there, I was, for spring break, I'm, you know, a local snot where I wouldn't go to the mountain during spring break or, did you know, you, the two weeks oh, over Christmas because no. it was too crowded. Wait a sec. Did you get the crestitude? That's what I call it. Is that crested yeah. attitude of the locals? <laughs> They're the worst. Really they, are, they, they are the worst people. They they sit there and just like so obnoxious on <laughs> on on being local and how crested be you almost want to turn around to him and just be like, hey, you know what? If we weren't here, your economy would die. And I really hope you realize that because we're not here to bother you. We're not. We're just here for vacation. And I'm sorry. It's it's the waiters. It's the it's just everybody that is in the service part of that that town. Every, everyone. Everyone. Crestitude. That's the funniest term. I've never heard that. But no, 
I didn't because obviously I was a Texan, but I still got judged for being a Texan. So it was like moved there after years of living there. They're like, oh, you're a Texan. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, yeah, I've never, and I honestly, I hope that COVID kind of shakes shakes that attitude out and just, you know, people realize how much they need tourism in that town. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not, Actually, I don't know. Actually, Crested Butte was one of the first towns hit, and it was hit super hard. And, you know, they only have one hospital down in Gunnison, uh-huh. and the closest big hospital is almost four hours away. They were overwhelmed immediately, and this was starting in January, and they I don't think they allowed, they shut down the mountain for spring break yeah. and didn't allow anyone in for a long time because most of the people got really sick. But it's such a fun community, and it's a tight-knit community, and it's filled with very interesting people, and who are mostly kind. So they're, it's just those those few run-ins that you have, you just become jaded. You're, you're just like, oh, my God, like these people. Uh, and you just generalize it. At least that's what I do is I generalize everything on a few interactions. It's really healthy. Oh, I um, <laughs> <laughs> So then, were, were you? Did you leave Western State and come back to Dallas, or did you stay up there? I did um, initially. Um, so through college, I worked as a paramedic. I was ski patrol initially, and so I got my EMT and my paramedic, and I ended up working on the volunteer ambulance service there. And when I came back to Dallas, I worked for the 911 system in Arlington. And that was Holy a totally God. different deal. I know. So in Gunnison, it was um, mountain rescues. We'd hike in eight miles and, you know, bring someone out who had fallen and over-the-edge rescues and accidents. And then I moved yeah. to Dallas and was doing it in Arlington where it was like I was 22 and in the middle of, like, Picking up gunshot wounds and gang fights and yes, you know you'd have police and fire with you, but on the nine one one calls, just situations that were mind blowing, and coming from two sheltered places, the Park Cities and then Gunnison and Crested Butte, my mind was just absolutely blown, and so I did that for a year. Here and then that was the end of my paramedic days. Like, did you, did you, did I mean, so did you see some real like horror gunshots and like people coming in, coming in and, and uh, after a gang fight or something? But like, anything. I mean, I, I've seen terrible things. Absolutely. I delivered babies. I, have watched people die. Oh, I mean, God. it was such it was a bad. Yeah. It really it it was it it definitely the mental scars. Yeah. I mean, that just I mean, seeing the I'm the EMTs. Uh, you talk to them, and just uh, some of the some of the EMTs that I've met through the years, they'll tell you stories that um, I mean, jaw dropping. And then and then you talk to uh, police officers. I you know I've met some police officers over the years, and just hearing about their stories of if they're on any kind of a um, uh, gang uh, team or you know one of these uh, SWAT teams, stories are just insane. You just hear these things that you're like, I mean, it's, it's just not, it, it, it's, it has to be, there, there has to be some mental effects on the day to day, what you see, because it's just not normal day to day. You know, you, you're, you're kind of like living in this war zone that no one else talks about or knows about in the, in the real world. Like no one well, else is dealing with, with this. The strangest thing is I would work. So I worked Monday through Thursday, and I'd work overnight on Wednesday to pick up more hours um, because you get paid nothing. So I'd do, like, a full 36 hours and then have a three-day weekend, and I'd go out with friends, and I lived over by the Inwood Tavern, and they'd be, like, talking about what a bad week they'd have, and I'd be like, <laughs> let, let me tell you what I saw today. And eventually people were like, would you stop telling these stories? This is horrific. Oh, God, I mean, that's some are awesome. funny, but like, 
some are just, you know, sick kids or hurt people or. Yeah. And I'm sure you were just a real pleaser at the bar just being like, yeah, you know, I rescued a baby today. Nothing, uh, <laughs> not, not, not a big deal. Uh, oh, what, it, oh, you worked on an Excel spreadsheet? Did you figure exactly. out that macro? Congratulations. That's awesome. Good for you. What'd your Good coworkers you. say to you? Sorry about yeah. that. Sorry to hear that. So, yeah, you were offended? Oh, okay. Um, so then, so then, was it like I'm gonna go? So I read that you went on the Appala- Appalachian Trail. So was it? Were you just like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to. I'm gonna come off. Well, how, how did you get on the Appalachian Trail? Right college, I went on a three month travel road trip. I had saved some money, and I actually went with Chuck Davis, who was in our graduating class, and Love we that drove guy. and camped all the way up to Alaska and back down. And so we were planning a similar trip of the East Coast, and Russell Dyer, also in our graduating class, was like, y'all should do a piece of the Appalachian Trail. And immediately I was like, what's the Appalachian Trail? I had never heard of it. And I was like, oh, I'm doing that. So within two weeks, we were starting the Appalachian Trail. No knowledge. I basically just Bill Bryson's book. Okay. Okay. That's what I know of the Appalachian Trail because when you it's uh, Into the Woods, I think is the name of the book. I'm not sure. Yes. But yes. um that is you read about it and you're like, This thing looks horrific. I mean, it looks impossible. <laughs> what what you know, were you just for like, some reason I thought it was a good idea, yeah. So you got where did you guys so, start? So we started at the beginning at Springer Mountain and we made it a hundred miles. And we're like, okay, we do not know. We started at the wrong time of year. We, I mean, the weight of our packs was unbelievable. I was wearing, at that point, hiking boots, which I later learned that you cannot keep dry in the Appalachians. Just stuff we didn't know about. So when we left, I, um, I'm going to go back. Before I turn 30, I will go back and hike the Appalachian Trail. And I ended up, I come from northern, my mom has been like, such an inspiration and in all my business stuff and in all the crazy stuff I've done, she's the one who's like, well, why don't you do this? And I was like, all right, mom, this is not working. We're not walking anymore. What? I don't know what I'm going to do. And she's like, I heard it's really fun to work in Martha's Vineyard for the summer. So I got on a Greyhound. I <laughs> bust up with my backpack to Martha's Vineyard, I walked up to the first restaurant where, like, when I got off the ferry, and I was like, hey, I'm looking for a job. And this little Lebanese guy named Joe gives me the old up and down, and he's like, all right, you can work here and live in my garage. And I was like, all right, let's do it. (laughs) So, gosh, I haven't thought about this stuff in forever. Crazy now. So I worked for the summer on the vineyard, (laughs) which was like, the greatest thing. Like, I lived off the restaurant food. I lived yeah. in a garage with 16 people from Jamaica. And <laughs> the what? only white girl there, yes. And I learned skills like how to open a can with a knife instead of a can opener. Um, very interesting time. And then after that, my sister was traveling in Europe, so I met her there that following fall or late summer and ended up hiking the – I traveled with her and did some backpacking, and then same sort of thing happened. Someone was like, oh, have you ever read Shirley MacLaine's book about the Santiago? And I was like, no, what is that? And this is all pre-internet. There's no, there was no yeah, way yeah, to yeah. yeah. information or a map. And they're like, it's a long-distance hike that starts in, you know, France, and it's a Catholic pilgrimage. And I was like, well, I'm doing that. So my sister flew home, and I, you know, for 500 miles across Spain. Yes, and that that was fascinating. That was... Where, where does that go across northern Spain? Like, what is the... Is it, is it uh, kind of like through the Basque country or is it through just um, below the Basque just below the Basque country it um technically a pilgrimage starts from your home to the ultimate destination 
And this is the way of St. James, who's of his pilgrims basically now. But back in Roman era, people were punished and have would do this hike as penance or this pilgrimage as penance. And they would do it as an act of faith or an act of punishment from the government. And so there's yeah. a church system set up. So about every 10, 12 miles, there's a small town with a church, and you have a church service every morning and every night. And there's an albergue where you can sleep. It's basically like a hostel. And it was so interesting because no one, I didn't speak much Spanish, and there were people from all over the world doing it. So it was a lot of time to think and meditate and I sort of processed a lot of the stuff from my ambulance days there. Actually, 9-11 happened when I was there. I was at my halfway mark. It happened, so I wasn't even in the United States, and I didn't even get news of it for a couple days. And wow. I know. I and know. Were, and, like, you know, everybody talks about that, that story of somebody being on uh, in the middle of the woods and then coming out of the woods and then finding out about 9-11. I in walked into a, a small town, and someone was like, in Spanish, was like, are you from North America? And I was like, yes. And he was like, there's bombs. What are you talking about? And to get a phone line out of Spain, and originally the Basque were considered one of the people, one of the groups who may have committed the act. Yeah. And so to get out phone line from Spain to the United States, just to my parents to see if everybody was okay and what was going on, took 12 hours. It was a different experience than most. Yeah, that is that is nuts. So, and it's really so. It's kind of interesting because um, I did some mountain biking up at north of Madrid. We went to um, like this is this is really cool. We went to all these places that had um, trails. We would see these. They almost look like water fountains, and they were for the Roman. Like it was the Roman trails. And yeah. um, you would just, you would go to these and they, it was fresh water and you could actually drink out of this water. And it was, it, you're in the middle of nowhere. And it was just this kind of a sanctuary for, uh, and it just showed people you were on the right path. Just continue to follow this trail. And it's crazy that you, <laughs> so this, this, this is the way of, uh, Camino de Santiago is the one that, that's the main one. This is really cool. Definitely. Yes, you probably crossed parts of it. I if you were I, biking north of there and you were seeing those fountains, I bet you were close. And there are a couple different pathways. So there's one up from Morocco that goes through Portugal. Um, there's one that does go, lead through the Basque Country because people were coming from their homes. But yeah. there is one main path. I see one that went there. There's it looks like there's one. I'm on the 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 Wikipedia right now. I think I was on the one that went through Madrid. This is pretty insane. Um, yeah, but I had no idea what it was. Like I don't, you know, the mountain guy, the the guide that I was with spoke like a little bit of English and a lot of Spanish. Clue what he was saying. I was like, cool. And <laughs> this is um, this is. Yeah, I think this is exactly where I uh looking at. So you did that and then you came uh you came back from, from the I Appalachians. Came, yes, and then so through my twenties I did random jobs. I waited tables at celebration for a, nice. on and off for almost ten years, yes. Um and greatest black bean soup. Greatest, like the soups at Celebration, are the best soups in town. You can't beat them. They're insanely good. I, I love after working there for that long. Usually you're grossed out after you work somewhere and you won't eat the food. I love to eat at Celebration, and really, as as I said earlier, my mom shaped me in so many ways. Working there and in customer service gave me so many skills. And Ed Lowe, the owner, and James and James and John Lowe's uncle taught me so much in leadership that I've carried into tree surgeons. He, his father and him are all big proponents of servant leadership. So if the dishwasher broke, Ed Lowe, the owner of Celebration, was the first one back there hand-washing dishes. 
if yeah, it's amazing. Their whole family is just insane. It we, so Jack. Well, it was Ed. I think Ed is Jack's brother. Is that right? Yes, Ed and Jack are brothers, or were okay. until Ed passed away. Right, right, right. And uh, Harriet was their mom. And, yeah. Um, their whole their whole philosophy with TD was. He he gave everything back to the employees. Like it was owned by the. Uh, I I think that's right, and I'm I'm probably wrong, but um, their whole attitude was first, and you lead by example. And you just totally yeah. see that with the dishwasher going and being back there fixing or washing the dishes by hand. I love that family. I, they are like they're awesome. I, I also love that family, and I love everything great that business, and I've implemented it so much. I mean, with the tree company, I will, if a crew is short, I've dragged brush. As I said, I've cut wood. There's nothing I won't do. I'll answer, I love doing and have having done all of the jobs, except for climbing, because the guys won't let me. <laughs> yeah, I would, um, I, I don't think I could... Dude, uh, it's like ropes course or something. Um, that just that scares like scares the living hell out of me. So with 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 going to like the, 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 the so what I understand about how you got into the Dallas Tree Surgeons is that it was your neighbor who owned it. So yeah, so back to that. So yeah, through my twenties, I worked at Celebration. I save money. I travel. I ended up teaching school for a couple of years, and then for so in 2006, I was turning 30, and I was like, "All right, I quit teaching. I was I traveled a mix, traveled around, and then when it was the right season, I had done all my research, I packed my gear, and I went and started the through hike on the Appalachian Trail again. Now, where did so you was start this time? Where 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 were you this time? At the beginning, and I started with my freshman college roommate. Apparently, I'm a bad hiking partner because we only we only lasted three days together. But she finished in like three and a half months and had a terrible time. And I took six and a half months and kind of moseyed my way up. And just in old, there were absolutely terrible moments, like weeks worth of rain and Wait a second. So you did it solo? You were solo when you did this? Yes, but there were people around, you know, there were other hikers who you get to know, there were who walked at your same pace and who were on your same schedule. You always kind of knew who was like within a day behind you or ahead of you. If you took a rest day, you'd be walking with a different group and then someone would hop off. The year I did it, only about... Four or five hundred people completed the trail. Um, I think maybe three or four thousand started, and that's that's how many people fall off. So by the mid states about Pennsylvania, you know who's around you, and they know where you are. And there's a journal system through the ice where you kind of can keep track of one another. Okay. Wow. Yeah, but once again, this was pre-internet. Now there's like an app for all the hikers so you can find each other. There was no cell phone service. There was no, I had a cell phone, but it was a flip phone in the bottom of my backpack that I think I used twice. This it is, was, I mean, so, I mean, I'm just wondering about it just the, when, when you finished, so you finished where, where, where in Maine or where were you? In Maine, Mount Katahdin is the official end. And would, so, do you get a badge? Do you get like a, a medal or what? What, what happens? <laughs> no, you, you you don't get anything, really, do you? It's, it's like anticlimactic. <laughs> like you climb this mountain and you get to the top and you see the sign and you're like, like had one goal. Like I had one thing going on for six solid months. Now I'm here and then you're like, wow, what am I like? I didn't even know how I was getting home. I hadn't even thought that far. And then to get off the trail, you have to hike like 16 more miles to like get to the nearest town. So you're like not even done, but you're done. And it's it's just, I called Mary Ellen when I got to town, Mary Ellen Butler, who was my best friend since kindergarten, as most people who listen to this will know. And she was like, well, 
behind you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is just a beating. Just like you get done and you're like, huh, all right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, so, now, now I'm going to go home, I guess. Yeah, so, so then you be, did you have to study to become an, is it, is it, are you an official arborist, or is it? I like, am now. You, okay. So someone I hiked with on the Appalachian Trail, she was doing a section hike, and it's kind of like the dude, through hikers really like to think highly of themselves. So people uh-huh, just doing a little piece of it, you know. Yeah, you're like, uh-huh, there's, but she was doing 500 miles of it, and we met, and we were for the majority of that 500 miles, and so she had taken all these dendrology classes, and as we walked, I mean, after you know, 200 miles, you know a lot about a person. <laughs> she probably knows yeah. more about me than most, and um, she, what kind of tree is this? What kind of tree is this? And so did with ID, and then biology, and then you'd see a fallen tree, so you'd get to look at the root system, see the funguses growing, and she was really good at identifying them, and she was, it spent a lot of time in that area, so all the plants in general. And then I got to see them without bark, without leaves, leaves through fall, since I hiked yeah. for six months, through all these seasons, so it's not, I didn't, I got to kind of expand my tree ID based other than Oh, I know what that leaf is. So I came home. I had $13 in my bank account because I was a waitress and teacher who had taken a year off to hike the Appalachian Trail. And I moved in with Mary Ellen um, and her husband. They had just bought a house in 2007. They had just got married, bought a house. They had an extra room, so I was renting it from them. And the previous owner... Real important question. What was better, 16 Jamaicans or Mary Ellen and her husband? <laughs> Absolutely Mary Ellen and her husband. <laughs> no no one was threatening to cut anyone in Mary Ellen's house. <laughs> um, all right. So you're living with Mary Ellen, and you're just trying to think of ways to make some, some scratch here. What, what, what like, yeah, so is, I've is, Went back to Celebration and, you know, started back there, and I was guiding trips on and off with Ed Lowe. He also guided canoe trips for um, at-risk youth, so I would help him guide a little bit and do that, and the neighbor owned this company, and he was like, I'm looking for a salesperson, and I said, I know about trees, and he said, you can start tomorrow. Um, Tree is very hard to hire in because who knows about trees and yeah. has the personality for, because if you're a tree plant person, you're usually kind of an introvert a little bit. You don't have the yeah. personality to go out and also do, you know, outside sales. So Yeah, you're listening to NPR all day. Yeah. I, right. I totally get exactly. It. <laughs> so then I just started doing sales for him. I was I think his first salesperson at Elf and Got my arborist, started studying for it. So just self taught. That's awesome. Since just expanded that. So you did you end up uh, buying Dallas Tree Surgeons or? So yeah. So I worked there for. It was Dallas Tree Surgeons when I bought it, and one of the reasons for the success is the previous owner was at the forefront of SEO, and Uh he had something called website farming. So. We had a DBA of Richardson Tree Surgeons, South Lake Tree Surgeons, um, Plano Tree Surgeons, ever, like everywhere in DFW that we serve. And so it, the main thing was Dallas Tree Surgeons, but just for marketing purposes. And him yeah. just being at the forefront of that before Google started tagging that and punishing you for that sort of activity, it was really beneficial to the company. And so he moved down to Austin. I was managing it. And I just one day called him and was like, hey, you want to sell this? And he was like, I am literally driving to a meeting company with a, like a brokerage firm. Like, well, turn around. I want to buy yeah. it. And Stop the car. We, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, it took a while. Um, most of what I bought was Goodwill. Some of what I bought was Goodwill. So to find financing, I had 12 banks tell me no, 
And then I finally called in a favor through a friend of my parents at Chase, Hank VA Loan, through J.P. Morgan Chase, purchased the company entirely through their without investment. It was. I'm very thankful for that. What year was that? When did when did that uh, when when did that happen? So I I bought it. I started in 2007, and then I bought it in 2010. So you're you're coming up, but you're in your 11th year in uh-huh. operating, and then and, and so and so burn this wood. Is this the first business that you've uh, done with uh, a spin out? Yes, it's the first separate, and it's sort of the same business. We have crossover employees and whatnot, but it needed yeah. a different identity. I rebranded Dallas Tree Surgeons and all of our DBAs into Texas tree surgeons because once just algorithms they work in Plano Park system as tree surgeons just to really unify the brand. So I didn't want to dilute any of that with burn this firewood or the content on our page for marketing reasons. Separate entity was more for marketing and brand unity than anything. What I mean, like, are you... Are are you how how fast are you expanding right now? Like is it? I mean, because the way I the way I see Texas tree surgeons is that you're growing really fast and it, it's it's going quite well. Um, is it just in Dallas or are you in other parts of the metroplex? We do most of DFW. We don't go much into Tarrant County. I always plan okay. to, but we keep getting to. So since we bought it, it's grown by 500%. We have three employees at the time. I have 18 now. I cannot keep up. I can never hire enough people. I cannot find people qualified for it. We're always, my main operations manager, Jade, has been with me since the very beginning. And we just, we're always, we always joke about, we're just a dollar short. But like, we just are a step behind all the time. And that's a great place to be in any industry. We've, we've had a great year this year, despite the pandemic. We already worked remotely with yeah. um, a customer yeah. management software. That's no big deal. We worked outside, so that was safe. We were deemed essential, so we got to operate through. And everybody was home looking at their trees. So over last year, when we had that huge storm on June 9th, I was in Dallas for that. Yes. So that that's the straight line windstorm, right? That had like ninety miles yeah. per hour. Okay. So there was two storms. There was like that 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 storm and then the tornado. Tornado. So we had an incredible amount of growth there, and then up ahead of that from last year, this the, in twenty twenty as well. And my business model is a little different than the traditional tree service. Allows me to flow. So I use contractors for the majority of my work. And my longest standing relationship is I worked for the company before I did 16 years. One of the foremen, they can have their, and they can go out in one chipper truck or three pickup trucks and change equipment. They can change crews. And each foreman kind of has a different specialty and a different, but at this point I have a list of qualified waiting contractors who, if I call them, they'll go do the work. Yeah. Like, that that's great because that just gives you a lot of flexibility right there. And they love it. So the ones who have been with me the longest, they have their own customers. But if they're in your front yard, if my crew's in your front yard trimming your tree for 150 bucks or whatever it costs, and your neighbor comes out and says, "Hey, will you trim mine too?" and I'll just pay you cash on the side, which happens all the time. They're like, yeah, uh-huh. for 300 bucks. <laughs> and yeah. so they just, they just the, the neighbor thinks they're getting a great deal, and my guys take them to the bank because they back one of my jobs and work later that day. It's worth it for them not to keep up with my job. They charge more than I do, which is, I always yeah. find that entertaining. Because then you well, guys will talk that night and be like, well, I paid 150 and they're like, well, they charged me 300 and it's so hilarious how people just try and do that. So like they 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 see the tree trimmers in the yard. They're like, "Oh, hey, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go pull this shady side deal. Not really contacting. Uh-huh. Just go to the guy straight. Cut out the middleman." Um. <laughs> exactly. There's, There's and then they'll call me and say, "Your your guys were here and they broke my tree light." And I'm like, "Well, I don't have any record of you as a customer. 
Exactly. And yeah. You know, I'm not fixing that. If you, <laughs> they left you any information, good luck. <laughs> yeah, that's not us. That's not us. So, yeah. all right, what was the big growth point of Texas Tree Search? Um, so it just slowly started building. Initially, it was about 20 or 20% a year until I had kids, and I stepped away for a couple of years, and okay. it kept growing, but not at that same rate. In the last three years, you know, it's grown so significantly and so quickly that while we have 18 full-time sales and office personnel, all of that doesn't count any of our crews. So we probably, even though today it's raining, have 50 to 60 guys out working on different crews Mm -hmm. and have always promoted ourselves as, you know, a small local company while trying to infiltrate the market. So about three years ago, my husband came on as our CFO, and he has a CFO consulting firm, Heath Advisory, and also teaches accounting at SMU. And so he's been able to add our 401k, our insurance, manage our human resources, manage larger contracts, uh, managed our PPP loan, which we got this year, which was amazing, and just really expand and sort of make it more of a professional shop than what I was, you know, winging before. But now we it's necessitated by our growth. And, so um, scooters, so scooters so, teaching at SMU. He teaches accounting there and has on and off since he graduated. And I guess we should note that Scooter used to date your sister in high school. That's um, correct. That is correct. Yes. I, yes. I know. I know that. I know that he's family back in the day fairly well. Yes, he speaks very highly of her, and um, so I think that's kind of a fun crossover there. But he's taught <laughs> on and off. He was at the Richards Group in financing for a while, and um, this is just so great for us because it allows so much family time, so much versatility. We're just now buying an RV this week. And we're going to hit the road, and he's going to take off summer classes. So for three months, we will be RV people. I thought you were so much. <laughs> oh, wow. Traveling so, around the United States. <laughs> so how many how many kiddos do we have now? What are we, what are we looking we, at? We have two kids. We have Rosemary, who's six, six and be seven, and Layla, who's four. That's and they great. are just too much fun. Handfuls. I've got two myself. It's a, uh, yes. yeah, I'm I'm at Six, I'm at six and uh, I'm at six and four as well. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. I, yeah, I uh, got woken up this morning at three thirty a.m. Four year old just oh, crawled yeah. into bed, just like, hey, guess what? I'm here. When's Every morning night. time? <laughs> I I just love this age. So oh, I just think the older they yeah. get, it's more fun every single day. It is. It is. I feel like I'm out of the weeds. Um, when I was in London, it was an absolute. I mean, it was really, really hard uh, having the the toddler phase, the baby. It was actually babies, and it was just I, I it was it was so hard just not having any support. So it's, oh, um, it was. I'm sure that was an impossible. I mean, here with the support of my parents and Scooter's parents, I mean, and owning a business, I had Rosemary and a baby carrier walking down the street with an angry customer on my headset trying to bounce her to sleep and calm down a customer who's mad about a branch we broke off. And, you know, so thank goodness we're past that point where I can just go sit on the front porch and listen to it while having a glass of wine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, it's hilarious how you just, like, you you really need the ability to, like, empathize with people in customer service and just, and and you're if you're trying to do that while you're while you're handle, handling a toddler, um, it's I mean it is just hilarious because you're sitting there you've got like a concerned face. You, if you looked at yourself in the mirror, you'd have that concerned face while you're on the phone, but while you're talking to the toddler, you're smiling, and it's just you know it's Jekyll and Hyde, and it's it, smiling, gushing, yeah, giving please hands. <laughs> short on time but here's the final question is your favorite tree i love them all i really oh, do come on 
You're not gonna give me like you're not gonna give me like some like redwood, a majestic John Muir wood redwood or something like that. You gotta I mean, have one. Like my favorite species in this area that everybody hates is the pecan. It's just beautiful. Yeah. It grows so well. It's native. It's our state tree. I love an unpruned pecan tree that's never been hacked. A huge weeping canopy. A big tree in Lakewood that's a ginkgo that is probably my number one favorite. Oh, I like that. I, okay. I, I don't know. But, you know, directions my mom always laughs because I'll be like, she's like, where's this place? And I'm like, well, go down there and take a left at that big live oak. <laughs> and then turn the next corner you when you see the yoke on holly. Yeah. You're the tree. You're the tree. Ah, oh, there's nothing worse than that. So you go down this road and you'll see this gigantic live oak. It's majestic. It's just amazing. Take a ride. Exactly. Take a left. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right, Amy. Thank you so much for doing this. You are the absolute best. And um, I will. About myself, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. And I can't wait to listen to your other podcasts and see what everybody. Oh, else dude, is you'll like you'll like it. You'll like it. You'll like it. You'll have a you'll have a you'll have a, a big time with it. Uh, so just look out for. Um, I'll send you the transcript, and we'll be in contact in the next hour or two um, with just a pre-recorded. Okay. All right. Perfect. Talk to you so later. Much. Hey, that was pretty good, wasn't it? If you want to help me cover the cost for the show, I'd really appreciate it. If you can go to my website, catfix.biz, that's C-A-T-F-I-X dot B-I-Z, and donate just a few bucks. I just need to, this is taking a lot of time to produce, and the equipment's not that cheap. Hopefully I have this all set up where you can just put in a credit card or possibly Bitcoin if you really want to. Uh, but it's going to be through Stripe, and it's just it's on the catfix.biz. Click on Common Threads, then you'll see the Donate button. Thanks, guys.